Welcome to Forte Catholic Radio. This is your host, Taylor Schroll, recording from the Red Sea Radio Studios in College Station, Texas. It is a good day today. My Astros are playing right now as they speak. It's the top of the eighth. They're winning four to two. It's why I was late getting to the studio because they had the bases. I was trying to leave the house to get here to record on time. They had the bases loaded with no outs. I looked at my wife. I said, well, I'm going to be late. (laughs) And I totally was. But I got here. We are on the air. But if you listen to the show before, there's an obvious change. You are not hearing this currently as it is 7.01 on Tuesday evening because the show has moved to a new time. On Red Sea Radio, uh, the show, we tried to announce this on our big one-year anniversary show, but there were still some moving parts and it hadn't happened yet. But very good news, there's this thing about radio that if you have a show in the morning, more people listen to it. And since I was a new show, they didn't really know me that well. They're like, yeah, let's put them Tuesday night at 7. We'll, we'll see what happens. As long as he doesn't, you know, like speak heresy or anything, we'll keep him on the air. And then they seem to like me a little bit. So um, I am now moving on Red Sea Radio to Thursday mornings at 11 a.m. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I appreciate your fake applause. Uh, it's, it's about the only applause I'm ever going to get. I really do, truly. And when I just tell people to clap for me, that's a great thing when I'm just speaking. I'm like, hey, that was a funny joke. You should clap. And then they do it just because I asked them to. It's absolutely fantastic. So now the show is on Red Sea Radios at 11 a.m. That's in Central Texas here in Brian College Station in Palestine, in Waco. Also, the show, as we announced a couple weeks ago, on Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then I'll always on the podcast, ForteCatholic.com slash radio. You can follow it on, on Instagram, uh, SoundCloud, whatever um, Android people use, Google Play. There you go. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm all about that Apple, baby. So uh, just like Adam and Eve. <clears throat> but uh, we've, got, we've got a good show here for you today. Um, if you can't tell, maybe you can, maybe you can't. My voice is a little shot today. We had uh, something big happen this week that I'll get to here in a little bit, but uh, I'm a little tired, but I, I am really excited. I've been looking forward to this show for a long time. Great, very exciting guests. We have two guests on today. Uh, the first one in our second segment is Bear Wozniak. Bear Wozniak, sorry. He is a man's man. He's a two-time surfing champion turned um, devout Catholic, and he's using his platform to, to share the message, to share the gospel, and truly doing evangelization. He's got a show on EWTN that aired this summer, and, and they're currently uh, shooting season two right now as we speak. So he's going, I mean, not as we speak, like he's not in the middle of it and he's going to come on the radio, but he's going to be on in a few minutes uh, to talk about his show and about some other things he's got going on. In the third segment, we're going to be talking to a man from Ignatius Press named Mark Brumley. He's going to be talking about a new book that they have about the Reformation. Um, As some of you may know, this month marks the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And so there are a lot of, you know, a lot. I see a lot of times on my Facebook feed or my Twitter feed or whatever, a lot of my Protestant friends are celebrating the 500-year anniversary. You're like, yay, we're not Catholic anymore. I'm like, well, that's stinks <laughs> so he's going to come on talk about like what and it's not like what what i like about what this interview is going to be is and what this book is about is it's the historical situation like what was going on when the reformation happened 
Who were some of the key characters? What was going on back then? It's not like this 500-year-old fight that we've had for forever where it's, you know, things that you've heard on other radio stations. Like, this is why Protestants are wrong, and this is why Catholicism is the best. This is more like, okay, let's, let's t- travel back 500 years and see what actually happened and what we can learn from that. So, good show for you today. Uh, this last week, a couple of things have happened. As I told you, my Astros have been doing well. Still, I, I'm checking my phone right now. Yep, still currently winning 4-2 in the bottom of the eighth. I will be consistently doing that uh, throughout this first segment and during the breaks. Uh, I'll pay attention when, uh, when Bear and Mark are talking, but I'm talking right now, and I don't need to pay attention to me. So, <laughs> uh, Second cool thing that happened this week, I beat a very difficult video game. It's called Cuphead. Published by Microsoft, it came out. Uh, I looked at like how long it should take you to beat it, and people are beating it like the f- pros are beating it in, like eight hours. A lot of people are finished it between like twelve and fourteen. Took me nineteen, but I finally beat it. <laughs> it was fun. And what's crazy is I think that number's a little skewed because I'm one of the first people to beat. It. Only three percent of people that have played that game have beaten that game. So I think the only people that have beat it are the people who are extremely good. So I think in a few months, the average will probably skew a little bit more towards my way. So that made me feel a little bit better when it said, you beat the game, like 3.23% of everyone else that has played it. I was like, oh, good. That's fantastic. Um, then I beat another video game. Other big news. A lot easier game. Destiny 2 is a lot of fun. I beat it this morning, actually. Um, the reason that I've had some time at home in the last few days or so, is the the real big news. My wife had a baby. Yes. Yeah. And she, her name is Felicity Grace, not my wife, the baby. Her, the baby's name is Felicity Grace Roll. Uh, so I'm going to tell a little bit of the story. Last Wednesday, I went to work like a normal day. And then my wife was going to an EIM class. For those of you who aren't in the diocese of austin what that is what eim stands for is worst class you've ever been to that's that's what the acronym stands for worst class ever been to that's the acronym eim uh it's like the safe environment class where i don't know can i say how i really feel about it on air everyone's telling me no okay so (laughs) she went to this eim class (laughs) thanks you thank you everybody she went to this eim class and one of our friends, Jennifer Stavanoa, who was actually on the show, she was the, I was looking through old shows. She was the first episode. She was the guest on the first episode. As, as I was looking back at like best episodes we've had over the first year, she didn't quite make it, but I was, uh, I was recollect, actually she did. Like that episode I said was my favorite episode we did because it was the first episode. So good job, Jennifer. I tried to make fun of you and it backfired. <laughs> you win. <laughs> she was actually number one, if I think about it. That was my favorite favorite moment. But um, she went to that EIM class that Jennifer was teaching. And then Jennifer tried to find her after. And she's like, oh, Sam left. Like Jennifer texted me. She's like, oh, I didn't get to see Sam after. She must have been rushing out to get somewhere. And my wife had had this antsy feeling for a few days that she was going to have the baby. And I was like, honey, like you're due dates on the 21st that's like still that it was it was almost she was the baby was almost a whole full two weeks early and so i'm like not nah, like you're it's fine it's that braxton hicks stuff that they tell you about so you're fine and then like my wife and i take turns putting the babies to sleep like whenever i'm whenever i'm there we kind of you know me one night her one night 
and um, me one night, her six nights, or, you know, whatever it ends up being, something like that. Well, this evening, she wanted to put the kids to sleep because she had been gone the whole evening. I had spent the whole night with her. She's like, oh, I want to actually spend some time with them. So it's like, okay. And so I, I go into the living room, and I start playing Cuphead, the game that I was just talking about. Um, and then my wife comes in and rudely interrupts me, saying that her water had broke. So, so, so she's putting, she's over there putting the kids to sleep, and her water breaks. And so, of course, like we gather her stuff. She had her go bag ready, which I think is funny. The only two people in the world that have go bags are pregnant mothers and like murderers. It's like, oh, I gotta go. My the cops are coming. I gotta get my go bag, my my secret stash. But her secret stash had like baby clothes and all that kind of stuff in it. So, we drive to the hospital. Well, first we we call our neighbors. Our neighbors come. They had been on call like the whole month. They come over to watch the kids. And so we we go to the hospital. We get checked in. She's in labor, but it's like fine. There's nothing really happening yet. I mean, at least for me, she's in contractions and stuff. Like, sure, she would tell the story differently. But we all know, like, what I mean is that it's not coming very quickly. So I call the the house, um, and I'm, I'm talking to my neighbors, and they're like, I was like, what time are y'all planning on leaving in the morning? Like, my mom can come, but she's not going to make it till like, tomorrow morning. And they were like, well, we were planning on leaving at 5 in the morning. I'm like, well, dang. Like, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to – I don't know if we're going to have the baby by then. Like, you never know with these things. So I start thinking – like, racking my brain. I'm like, oh, who am I going to call? It's like Sam, my producer. I'm like, well, she has school tomorrow. I can't call her. And I was like, well, everybody else is working. Um – I'll call Lydia <laughs> because I was like, Lydia's not in school and she doesn't seem stressed out. So <clears throat> I was like, hey, Lydia, can you come watch my, like spend the night at my house while I'm not there and just sleep there while my kids are asleep? And she's like, uh, that's a weird request. And I'm like, yes, it is. She's like, sure, I'll be, I'll be right over. So she goes, relieves the neighbors. And then all while this is happening, my wife's still in labor, right? And I, like we're in the hospital, I'm calling all these people. And then my mom's my mom says, Oh, your sister's on her way. This is at like 10 in the morning or 10 at night. <clears throat> and I'm like, Oh, okay. I think it was even later than that. It was later than that. It was like midnight that they decided to come. So my sister, her her boyfriend works not, night, so he had just woken up. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is midnight. He had just woken up a few hours earlier. He's like, I'm wide awake, I'll drive you up there. So he drives my sister up two and a half hours from where they live. They get there like 2.30 in the morning. And at this point, like my wife's like in labor. Like it's, it's coming quick, right? And she, my poor wife, this is her hardest labor by far. Hardest labor by far. <clears throat> and this will uh, kind of tell you how good of a person I am. She had a doula, which is like essentially what the doula does is everything the husband's supposed to do. So I'm just like, whatever. Like she, she knows all. Like I know nothing, nothing. If you've heard this story before, we delivered our second baby in the car. So I'm like, I think I'm done forever now. Like I was the doctor once, so I don't have to do anything for the rest of them, right? It's like, no, 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 that's not the case. We'll just hire someone. We'll just use the money you make it work to pay them to do the things that you're supposed to do. Because I have no idea that like, you know, she's having contractions, like push on her back. I'm like, how hard's too hard. I don't want to break her. You know, I, anyway, so we just hired somebody to do that. At this point, it's three in the morning. 
I was tired when I woke up that morning. <laughs> so, and my wife, she has like this calming music on, you know, it's like this Spotify, like it's called, I forget what it's called, deep relaxation or something. So it's three o'clock in the morning. The duel is doing all the work and I'm sitting there on the couch listening to this deep relaxation thing. And then I wake up 30 minutes later. I'm like, oh crap, I fell asleep. <laughs> so in the middle of this labor, I'm asleep. Long story short, my wife is a trooper, eight hours of labor, <clears throat> baby comes out, we don't have a name for the baby. <laughs> Everybody's like, like, I've lied to people before to keep, like, to keep a secret or whatever. Like, my wife and I said, oh, we're not going to tell people we're pregnant until this date. And people are like, oh, are you, pre- is your wife pregnant? I'm like, no. Like, I, I do that to protect the bond between my wife and I, right? So, I've done that enough times that people are like crying wolf now. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 y'all have decided a name. You're just not telling us. I'm like, no. Like, my mom called me, like, while she's in labor, she goes, what's the baby's name? I said, I don't know. And the way she responded, she, I think she thought I was lying to her. And it pro- she, pro- she might still think I was lying to her. She's probably listening to this <laughs> on the podcast. I, mom, I wasn't lying to you. I really didn't know. It may look even more like I was lying to you because about three hours later, we had a name. <laughs> the baby was born. I'm like, Felicity Grace, as I was falling asleep, actually. My wife had suggested the name Felicity. Like She wanted like Felicity and at, uh, Felicity Perpetua. It's like two saints that like died together at the, like, the beginning of the world or something. Not the beginning of the world, but the beginning of Christianity, like the 100. <clears throat> at the beginning of the world, there were Christians. <laughs> she wanted the name Felicity Perpetua. I was like, we can't give her like two weird names. Like that's, <laughs> that's just mean, like as the person that makes fun of people, I just can't allow that. So, but then, so she wanted the name Felicity because of the Saint Felicity. And like, literally all we know about this saint is that she's, she was a martyr and that she was revered as a saint all throughout the early, early times, right? Or in the, in the early church, I looked up like what the word Felicity means. And it means yeah, like pure, unadulterated joy. Like just, you can't hold it back. I'm like, oh. Make thoughts and fun again. We're going to name this baby after my radio show. <laughs> so her name, but like that's, it's a partially a joke. Every joke has some truth to it, but like, I love, I love that just about the gospel, the joy of the gospel. Right. And then grace, we all know is like unmerited gift, unmerited favor. So it's like, if this girl can live up to her name, she's going to have a great life. <laughs> Always joyful. And uh, unmerited favor, walking with her everywhere she goes. So, Felicity Grace, welcome to the world. When you're listening to this on some device we don't know um, exists yet 25 years from now, welcome to the world, baby. I appreciate it. Um, I'm glad you're here. I know your mom's glad that you're here. My, I was sitting with my wife yesterday, and she was like, it's really good. I lost 15 pounds this week. <laughs> she went to the doctor today. But <clears throat> here's what I, well, I kind of want to talk about in the last two minutes of this segment. Um, in, in regards to having babies, and because we we learn things from having kids about our faith, and I know for me, there's one thing that like I've had it before, and I've only talked to like one or two people about it because it's it's weird, it's kind of an odd thing to say, but I'm gonna say it anyway, kind of put myself out there. Um, <clears throat> there's something similar for me at least with the relationship that I've had with my kids in the first year of them being born, as with my relationship with God. 
and it was very, very odd because we had our, I didn't really realize what happened until we had our second baby. For the first year or so, I had no relationship with my children. They see my face. I see them. I can hold them. I can change their diapers. But like my, my, my wife nurses. So like anytime she's crying, like she wants mama. And it's kind of a weird thing. It's like, I want to help as much as I can, but there's only so much that I can do to help, especially in the first year. And like, babies don't talk at that age. It's really hard to have a relationship, right? So I have this deep parental love for this baby, but there's really, really no true depth to it. There's no relationship there other than like, I made you, right? And I feel like this, I, I look at like my, how my relationship with my children has grown. Christopher's now four and a half. Maggie's now two and a half. And now like I have this amazing relationship with them. I love them so much more than I did in that first year because now I truly have a relationship with them. And I think about like our relationship with God and how often it's like, yeah, I love God. And this correlation of like, I'd give my life for my kids, even though like with Felicity right now, I don't have a relationship with her. I love her to death. I would die for her, but I don't have this deep connection with her. Same thing with like people who are new in their faith or, or kind of young in their faith. I, I, even when I was young in my faith, I would die for God, but I didn't have a deep like personal connection with him, right? So that's one thing that I'm learning through parenthood. One thing that, I, that I've noticed about myself, one thing I've noticed about my relationship with God and just in the same way that I need to spend time with my kids and to get to know them and to grow with them and our relationship will grow, it'll be the same with our relationship with God. So here, just after a couple minutes of break, we're going to come back and be with the man, Bear Wozniak. This is Taylor Schroll on Forte Catholic on Red Sea Radio, St. Michael Radio, and the podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Forte Catholic. This is your host, Taylor Schroll. We are here at our second segment of the day. I'm so excited for this interview. It's a man that I've been looking forward to talking to and getting to know for quite some time now, Mr. Bear Wozniak. Bear, how are you this evening, sir? Aloha. Well, I'm glad to be on your show, Taylor. Yeah, it's it's really glad to have you on. A couple of months ago, I heard you on the Catholic Man Show. Those guys are a trip, and your interview on there uh, was entertaining, and there was one point where you absolutely floored me. You said, if you are a Christian and you're not praying for 60 minutes a day, you are a poser, and I am a Christian. I was not praying for 60 minutes a day, therefore... I was a poser listening to this Catholic podcast, so my prayer, I took that very seriously, and my prayer life uh, jumped up dramatically in that last month, so thank you for sharing that that with me. I really do appreciate it. I mean, isn't that cool? Once you man up enough to do, uh, if you're just praying 10 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day, that is really hard to do. It really is, but once you get over that 30-minute mark, it's like you just you just want to keep praying. And, and beyond that, it's like you can hardly wait uh, to spend time with the Lord. And you find yourself kind of praying uh, throughout the day. I, actually, I was just with Monsignor Gino. I was at the Vatican last week, and he uh, is in charge of the new evangelization in the English-speaking world. And he was asking me, what's your program for evangelization? And I just said spending an hour every day uh, with the Lord in prayer. 
Because that's where we get our marching orders. That's where we get our power, right? Otherwise, we're just going on our own strength. Absolutely. I remember a quote from Mother Teresa. I think we talked about it on the show a few weeks ago where uh, sh- somebody asked her, like, aren't you too busy to pray? And she said, I'm too busy not to pray. She started every one of her days with at least an hour of prayer and adoration in the morning before she went and spent, you know, 17, 18 hours doing the ministry that she did. So we're going to talk uh, right. about yeah, we're going to talk about the ministry that you do. But first, I just want uh, people to understand who you are and, and that you are a big deal. It's a, it's a, it's a great, great thing to have you on the show tonight. Um, who are you? What's, what's your past? And kind of lead into what you're doing now. Dude, that's tough. That, that's really tough, you know. First of all, I'm a very humble guy, so. Don't be. For the next be three minutes. Actually, uh, I'm a, well, <laughs> Actually, uh, I'm a world champion tandem surfer, and most people don't know what that is, but I, um, I lift a woman over my head in very extreme and acrobatic lifts while we're surfing, and uh, I'm, I'm a bit of an adventurer. I'm a second-degree ninja black belt, and I've bicycled my, pedaled my bicycle across the United States. I've done pretty, the most extreme thing I ever did was uh, paddle uh, my uh, surfboard across the very treacherous Molokai channel it's about 30 mile paddle between those two islands and I've run with the bulls of Pamplona and skydive I'm a pilot and I don't know it just kind of goes on like that if you live long enough you get to have a lot of you get to do a lot of stuff I will uh, I will I will even if I live a long time I will never be a black belt I will never be a two-time world champion in anything I will never ride my bicycle across the United States. I'm too chubby. I will never <laughs> paddle a surfboard. Uh, so I, th- I, th- I think it's not just because you've lived a while. I think it's because you're an awesome man and you're fearless. <laughs> well, you, you know what we say in our in our in our apostolate is that the most radical thing you can do in life is abandon yourself to the wild adventure of God's will. And although all those things are adventurous, there's nothing more adventurous than getting up in the morning praying and then living every day asking god to order every step and to see god move in your life to see god challenging you to see brick walls kind of melt before you as you walk towards them and you do that mother angelica sort of thing where you just try to uh, obey the lord and get ready for an adventure i mean he's the god that created quasars and black holes and the, the wild ocean, uh, don't expect if you abandon yourself to God's will that you're not going to have to be bold. It's, it's, you have such a way with words, and, it, and it's connecting with me, and I'm hoping it's connecting with our listeners, because you're comparing, like I've never heard somebody call prayer an adventure before. I've heard prayer called many, many things compared to many things, but even on the list of the adventures that you just listed, listed off, Talking about prayers and adventure, if I offered somebody, I said, you can run with the bulls or you can talk to a god. I think most right. most people would say they talk to God. And like that's just it's Well a, yeah, I mean that because that's the most radical. Can you imagine you get to talk with God? And the other thing about this, I was just thinking, is I was just in Rome, and you know those statues of the saints uh in Peter Square. And the apostles uh, at the in, in the facade in front of St. Peter's Basilica. If you look at those statues, those are real masculine-looking dudes. I mean, there's women there too, 
but the men looked determined as they looked down at us and they're masculine. And I don't mean they're masculine. They build their, their, their torsos, their arms are very powerful. And I'm not saying that's what I'm focusing on, but in that physicality that that sculpture did, that sculptor did, you're seeing a visceral masculine spirituality. Being a man and being a Christian is different than being a woman and being a Christian. There's a different expression. Uh, you know, there's, there's a masculine sort of spirituality and men have kind of lost our way. Uh, we've almost feel genderless in some ways when we go to church. And I think your apostolate is responding to that very issue. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the ministry that you do as a whole, then we'll get into some of the specifics. Well, we basically challenge men to go deeper with God, but our focus isn't just to speak to men. That's our target. It's like when we throw that javelin or we pull that arrow out of the quiver, uh, we're aiming there at the heart of men. But we know if we aim there, we're going to be getting all kinds of uh, impact with women too. There's so many women. When I was at the Napa Institute in California, the men came up and said, we love your new TV series. Uh, but the women responded even more powerfully, like, we need this. We need our men to see that it's okay to be men again. And we need our young women to see what a true man is, you know, a, a man abandoned to God's will. Yeah, I totally get that because I, uh, you're, we've already established that you're much manlier than I am. But So I'll go ahead and say this. I listen to a podcast called Sinner Saint Sister, and its target audience is definitely women. But I absolutely love the show. It's by my friend Allison Sullivan. Uh, and I know the Catholic guys of the Catholic Man Show, they, they have said that they've had uh, women listen to the show as well. So, yeah, you're definitely targeting men. You're trying to have men rise up to the call from God that is upon them to be leaders in the church, to be um, holy and to, to, um, to be servants. And I think you're doing that in some, right. some great ways. And I, I know that one of the biggest ways and, and uh, most exciting ways that you've been doing this recently is through your TV show on EWTN called The Long Ride Home. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this? I'm sure it's a dream come true for you. Uh, tell well, us a little bit about that show. Yeah, it is one of those things that happens when you pray, you know, and, and just the inspiration for the show. And then the actual ride, we rode our motorcycles from. Cocoa Beach, Florida, to San Diego, and then up to Monterey. And we've already shot season two, by the way, from a whole other uh, thing. But when we were doing that ride, uh, there was two of us, Tony Orband and I, uh, rode up to Louisiana. And then we met up with Grady Dyke. And then we got to this place called Texas. I've heard of it. And we had a bunch of it. We had Father Mark Goring and Jay Flunker and several other men join up with us. Oh, I didn't know Father Mark came. I love Father Mark. I've done a lot of stuff at the Charismatic Center where he's the pastor. I love oh, that guy. Absolutely. He he came to my surfing retreat about three or four years ago, and we've been we've hooked up ever since. Um, we're basically doing my bicycle ride when I bicycled from San Diego to Jacksonville. We're doing it in reverse, hence the long ride home. But we have so many amazing experiences where God uh, gave us access to people or we did certain things. Um, and we really found that we went into, when we went into the Big Bend area of Texas, you don't go there. You don't pass through the Big Bend. 
you, you go there on purpose. You got to really want to go there. And as you go there, the road gets narrower and narrower and narrower. And it's kind of like that, that our path uh, through life. You have to really want to go to heaven. And the, and the road is narrow. And when we went in there, we really felt that we were doing spiritual warfare in, in the desert, like the monks of the desert of North Africa, like Jesus did when he went into the desert, like John the Baptist did uh, before him, like Moses did before him. We went into the desert and we went into spiritual battles to break down this false image of, of, of men, this, the, the, the fact that men are not needed anymore, that they're just basically a joke. And, uh, and I think uh, some real spiritual battle took place, and there was a breakthrough there. And you see that evidenced in the men. So as y'all are driving along, y'all are on these Harleys. I've just tried to, like, picture this. <laughs> you know, like these, these uh, manly men driving across in Harleys. And I was, as I, was, I was listening to something about the show, and I, I loved one of the promos. And it was like, if you see these guys drive up on Harleys to a gas station, you don't think they're bringing the gospel, and then they surprise you and they bring the gospel. So, uh, what? Uh, dude, we go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Well, you know, we 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 rode up, we rode down to the area of Houston where the sex trafficking is so bad, and where there was many many brothels. And we showed up in our biker vests, and we were with Father Mark and his church, carrying the cross and praying the rosary in front of one brothel at a time. And you see these gnarly looking guys and um, praying the rosary. And, uh, you know, because you don't win that battle just by politics and just by being active. You win that kind of battle against pornography and that whole industry in, in spiritual warfare first. And for me, my weapon of choice, you know, when you walk into my house, you see my ninja black belt hanging on the wall and draped over that is my... Uh, rosary tom sullivan made the, the warrior rosary to me when i go to war i pick up my rosary that's beautiful man I, i've done some uh, praying outside of abortion clinics but i haven't done it around brothels so that's one of the one of the great things that's happening along this that happened along this drive in season one of the long ride home came out on ewtn this summer it's currently airing as it's well still- on a, at 11 p.m yeah, eastern what yeah what's up well, it's 6 p.m. Saturdays on uh, on uh, EWTN now. Oh, good. The same time as my radio show. It's kind of funny. <laughs> but people have the to armed pick. Services, the armed services, the armed forces network is showing it now too. No way. That's yeah. so and, cool. Yeah, and when we were in front of the brothels, the pimp came out, the enforcers came out, but we also saw one uh, Asian woman wave uh, out the door, and then they, she got pulled back in. But we know that we gave her hope, and uh, she knew that we were uh, standing with her. So um, when you go to the, when if you're a man and you go to these brothels and you pray, you're not going to be looking at pornography anymore because you, you realize what a horrible uh, situation these women are in. Yeah, geez, Louise, how eye opening is that? Um, so what are some yeah. of, what are some of the other things that y'all did on on this drive? Well, um, one of the coolest things we did is we began to we began with a, a handshake a certain handshake where we grabbed each other's forearms and then pointed to the sky because someone we knew said this was something they had done in their youth and that developed as we got into texas went to father mark's church and they yell out there viva crystal ray which is the the, the cry of the cristeros 
when the Mexican revolutionaries would ride in on their horses, ride into the church and kill the priest, desecrate the altar, they would yell, Viva la Revolution. And the Cristeros would yell back, Viva Cristo Rey. And we're making that the cry of the men's movement in the church today because men need to start taking the ridge line again. Men need to start ridge lining. Men need to start standing in the gap. We have this one scene, the beginning of episode six, where we're up in this high mesa, and I'm reading uh, the, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. And uh, it's before sunrise. And you see our drone flying. And on each of the ridge lines, you'll see, a, you'll see a man here and then another man there. One's reading the scripture. One is holding the cross. One's praying the rosary. And these men are ridge lined. And it's one thing you know on the desert, especially back in the day, you wouldn't ridge line that way because it exposes you to danger. But it's time for men again to take the ridge line and to be seen and to be heard. You know, there's this big cop out. I'm sure it upsets St. Francis very much where people will say the, the story where he was going into a village and they were going to share the gospel, but only speak when necessary. Yeah, one of the most uh, wrongly, wrongly quoted quotes of all time. Now. It's necessary to speak now. We need to stand in the gap, and we need to uh, stand on the ridge lines, and we need to share the reason for our hope and stop being wimps. Because we need to, we we have to. Um, there's people out there that need to hear the gospel, and we can bring them with us to heaven. Bear Watson preaching up a storm again here on Forte Catholic. He's talking about his show, The Long Ride Home. Uh, your ministries, Deep Adventure Ministries, you also have something new that's, that's, uh, that you've been working on for, for some time called the Bears Man, Bears Man Cave. Why don't you tell – we have a couple minutes left. Why don't you tell people a little bit about yeah. Bears Man Cave? Those guys from the Catholic Man Show kind of inspired it. And what we do is people go to my website, Bear Wozniak. Dot com. It's W-O-Z-N-I-C-K, bearwasnick.com. And they can join uh, our uh, men's only Facebook group. And they have to go to my website to join. It's a $10 a month uh, membership fee. And uh, they, they get a, either a, a whiskey tumbler or a beer mug or a coffee mug um, uh, for make it, becoming a member. And then we post the coolest stuff these men We'll share, like, I'm going to tell you the truth. We had one guy on the show, uh, I almost hate to say it. We've had more than one. We've had probably, we've had dozens where men will go, you know what? My, my wife's leaving me. And I look at them and I go, dude, you're 80 pounds overweight. Lose it. So instead of talking about, you know, are you praying enough? I'm talking about get on a low carb eating regimen and get healthy. Be, if you're going to be a warrior for the Lord, be a warrior for the Lord. If you want to show self-mastery in your life, the virtue of self-mastery, control that first. And so we're seeing men losing weight. We're seeing men sharing, um, you know, challenges with their children, uh, uh, other, other areas of their life that are more private in this Facebook group, and to the men encouraging each other. And we'll quote, we'll, we'll quote John Wayne, we'll quote John Paul too. And then every few weeks we get together on a video chat. And you get to see each other's ugly faces, <laughs> and uh, we challenge and pray for each other. Well, so, if it's, you know, if men, it's Catholic men with ugly lives. faces, I'm going to fit in perfectly. Some of them are really ugly. I'm not kidding <laughs> you. you know, I, especially the knights on bikes. 
Man, those guys, those bikers, they look like ZZ Top, you know? <laughs> With a long beard. I'm sure it's quite a scene. Well, uh, guys, check it out. Go to bearwisek.com, deep, deepadventureministries.com. Bear, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Chater, you're not a poser, man. You're my kind of man. <laughs> God bless you. I appreciate it. Well, uh, guys, we'll be right back okay. for our final segment of Forte Catholic for the evening. Viva Cristo Rey. Welcome back to Forte Catholic. It is our final segment of the day. I want to thank Bear Wisnick again for coming on the show. And we've got back-to-back guests here on Forte Catholic this evening. I am now joined by Mark Brumley, the President of the United States of America. I'm just kidding. That's wishful thinking. The President of Ignatius Press. Mark, how are you doing this evening, sir? I'm doing fine. That might be wishful thinking for you, but I wouldn't. It's not so wishful for me. <laughs> uh, you don't want me to put that on you. I, I recant. I take it back. How's that? <laughs> Great. So, uh, the, how do you become the president of Ignatius Press? That sounds Ignatius Press. Are y'all the biggest or second biggest Catholic publisher in the world? Something like that. Well, not certainly not in the world. Um, in the U.S., I don't know how we compare in the United States, but we're one of the largest Catholic publishing companies. If by largest you mean uh, publishing lots of books. We publish uh, 40 to 60 books, new titles a year, and keep a fairly hefty load of reprints and textbooks and that in the production stream. So we're large in that sense, but we're fairly close, tight-knit, uh, Catholic family-oriented group. Gotcha. So you do a lot of work with a little bit of people. <laughs> so yeah. Y'all are Correct. Qu- quite prolific. People ask me how many people work at Ignatius Press, and I often say twice as many as at the Vatican. <laughs> and, of course, people are very surprised by that. And I explain that many years ago, Pope St. John the Twenty-Third was asked how many worked at the Vatican, and he said about half. <laughs> and so since everybody who works at – everybody at Ignatius Press works, twice as many people work here as at the Vatican. <laughs> That's a great joke. You should publish that in one of your books. That's hilarious. <laughs> so uh, speaking of, of your books, we're here to talk about one of the books that you guys have published called The Characters of the Reformation. So why did you guys think that that would be a good book to to share at this time? Well, this is the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, which is usually marked from Martin Luther's protest against the sale of indulgences in Germany in 1517. October 31st, on the eve of All Saints Day, 1517, Luther issued his so-called 95 Theses. So we are revisiting the topic of the Reformation from a number of perspectives. One is the perspective that Hilaire Belloc gives in this book, Characters of the Reformation, which is a classic work uh, from the perspective of a Catholic writer in England in the early 20th century on the Reformation, especially the English Reformation. And that the... 
you know, I get emails all the time. It's like, hey, this book's coming out, this book's coming out, or this person wants to talk. And I, and I kind of sift through them. The reason that this one stuck out to me is so often, and, and it's like great things like apologetics, like people on, on Catholic Answers or even a lot of books that I'm sure you guys publish are like, this is why Catholicism is the fullness of the truth. And, and, and a lot of times in um, opposition to the Protestant, Protestant Reformation and Protestantism, like that's that's fine. But the, but this seems like it's something something different. That it's more like the okay, let's look back and find out like what actually happened. Because I know a lot of Catholics. We know this. Like I have reasons why I'm Catholic and not non denominational or Baptist or whatever. But I I've been around the church for many many years, and I know that Luther posted his his theses and then i know that there was a reformation <laughs> reformation like i don't really know the whole story and that's why i wanted to get you to talk um get you on to talk about this book because that's what this does right. it talks about the the key and influential players in the reformation and as, and as you said especially the english reformation why do you think he focuses there Belloc believes that in- england's going protestant essentially um contributed significantly to a stalemate in Europe. Europe was divided uh, in the 16th century. We had in the, in the 16th century and on into the, to the um, early 17th century, what are sometimes called the wars of religion. Uh, many modern scholars now refer to them to the wars of more than religion because religion was, of course, important, but they were also about political power, territory, and all kinds of other things that were bound up with disputes about religion. So you've got a divided Europe, and in Bellock's view, and a number of historians would agree with him, um, if England had not gone Protestant, if England had remained a Catholic country, probably the balance in the struggle between Catholic and Protestant states in Europe in the late 16th century, early 17th century, would have gone in the Catholic direction. So because of England's central role, Belloc focuses on it. Not that, that that there aren't other characters of the Reformation in, in other nations that are important. Germany, or what was uh, the precursor to Germany, Holy Roman Empire, and various German states, France, of course, and Spain. Uh, later, what became the Dutch Republic. All these places were important political communities where there were all kinds of struggles about religion. But for Belloc, England plays a central role. I just anytime anybody brings up the Holy Roman Empire, I, I just ha- have to laugh because I was in a in a scripture class in college, and somebody said, "Well, it wasn't holy, it wasn't Roman, <laughs> and it wasn't an empire." So that's why they broke up because they had uh, no idea who they were. <laughs> so before we go that's any true. further, in yeah. many ways, that's true. <laughs> Not much of an empire. <laughs> Uh, why don't you just uh, who is this Belloc guy? Like, who is he? Why is he important? And uh, why was this such a big issue for him? Well, Belloc was a, an important Catholic writer in the early part of the 20th century. He was an Anglo-Frenchman. He had uh, uh, an English mother and a French father, and he was an interesting social commentator. Is at one point a member of Parliament. He was a very noted controversialist, you know, we would say journalist today. He would freak, get in debates with some of the prominent secular figures of his day, uh, George Bernard Shaw, H.G. Uh, Wells, people like that. 
he is perhaps best known for his religious, political, social, economic uh, alliance, as it were, in terms of a, a philosophy with another famous English writer, G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton was a convert to Catholicism from Anglicanism. Belloc was a cradle Catholic, uh, but they had similar ideas about religion. And of course, eventually Chesterton becomes a Catholic and they, and they share the Catholic faith. In fact, their perspective was so closely united that people sometimes will refer to the Chester Belloc, the common religious, social, political philosophy of Chesterton and, and Heller Belloc. That's that's so interesting to me because I've I've heard of Chesterton so often. You know, he's so popular, especially among like men, Catholic men's groups and these types of things. And until right. I got this email about this book, I had never heard of Belloc. So I'm glad that I'm getting the chance to learn more about him and my listeners as well. So in this book, in the characters of the Reformation, um, how many characters does he cover? And and what are some of the most like interesting things? Who are some of the your favorite characters as you read this book um, that you think people might uh, be intrigued by? Well, on the question of how many characters, if I just skim the page here, it looks like some 15 characters or so, maybe slightly more than that. And probably, as I'm looking over this list of figures, the, the people that stand out to me as most interesting are of course, Henry VIII, of course, is notable, not just in terms of the English Reformation, but he's just a, a fascinating character from the perspective of political history. St. Thomas More, the great, you know, uh, English saint, political figure, Lord Chancellor of England, uh, was actually a friend of Henry VIII and was executed by Henry VIII because essentially More would not acknowledge Henry's claim to be the head of the church in England. So Thomas More, as a notable figure. Then, of course, Queen Elizabeth, Elizabeth I, who was a major figure in transitioning England from what was essentially a schismatic Catholic nation. What do I mean by that? The religion of England, although Henry VIII tried to change it somewhat, most people, most common people, were still Catholic in their hearts. And it really wasn't until uh, Elizabeth, that a decided concerted effort was made to change the religion of, of the common people. Now, uh, that, that's a somewhat controversial assertion, but I, I think it's true. So those would be people that would stand out to me, Henry VIII, Thomas More, uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, also James I. James is, of course, familiar to people. They've heard of the King James Bible. Well, James I, as the King of England, Protestant king, had the Bible translated into a standard English edition that became the standard English translation of the Bible in the English-speaking world for centuries. I didn't. I actually didn't know that. So how how far away was he, the king, from when Luther posted the theses? You know, about a hundred years later. Oh wow! About a hundred years after Luther. I, I always ha- I have a. There was a guy at the uh, campus ministry where I worked at. He was a, a non-denominational pastor, and he 
a lot of his non-denominational friends still use the King James Bible. And he's like, it's just ridiculous. Like, nobody talks like that anymore. And he says there's one story, because he, he, he was using reading a King James Bible as he was growing up, and there was the story of Peter when he's sinking in the water. And the King James Bible says, Lord, saveth me. And he said, that's when I put the Bible down, because I'm reading that story, and Peter just would have went, help! <laughs> he wouldn't have, Lord, saveth me. It wouldn't have been all, all proper, so... Um, with we say that, and yet the King James Bible. Obviously, I'm speaking as a Catholic, so I, I'm not uh, trying to sell King James versions of the Bible. But the King James Bible has had a tremendous effect on the English language. Um, so we, on the, of course, there's obviously there's a place for updated language, and not saying we should use 16th century. Uh, English, but its impact on the English language and English literature has been tremendous. Much, by the way, uh, like the way in which Luther's translation of the Bible into German had a tremendous effect on the German language. Yeah, this this whole thing is just so fascinating to me. So, what do you think? Something as as you read this book, we talked about some of the the interesting characters from it. What do you think is one thing that peop- that you think a, a majority of people, even practicing Catholics, don't know about the Reformation? I think that they probably don't realize how Catholic, in certain respects, the earliest Reformers were. I think there's a tendency to think of the earliest Protestants as being more or less like the Protestants today. So it shocks people to learn that, for example, Luther uh, and, and Zwingli, another early Protestant reformer, and even Calvin, to some degree, uh, believed in a number of things regarding Our Lady that people today would say Catholics don't believe in. Luther believed in the perpetual virginity of Mary. You know, Luther believed that uh, the so-called brothers and sisters of the Lord were not Mary's biological children. He was cautious, but he he believed in using the title Mother of God to refer to Mary. These are things that today we would say, well, Protestants don't do those sort of things. It's like, well, we can point it back. Well, look at your founder, because because he did. Right. I remember like uh, learning about. I'm sorry. I remember learning about Luther, and you know, going in kind of like you were saying, thinking like, oh, he was this terrible guy that just wanted to bring about havoc in the church and like he was prideful and just wanted to start his old thing. And as I was learning some of these things, I was like, you know, he, a lot of the changes that he put up on his theses are changes that we made at Vatican II. There were things that like, like, like he really wanted good reform to happen. And then over the course of the next 10 years after that, he got more and more frustrated and obviously started having views that were less and less Catholic. And then it led to this, this great travesty of having, you know, hundreds of thousands of churches now, but he started off from a good place. I just think it's so, it's so very interesting. And in how I look at myself, it's like, okay, if I'm doing something and I think the church is moving slow on something, am I going to be impatient to the point that he was? And like, you know, 
uh, just leave the church and try to do something different? Or am I going to be patient and wait on the Lord and wait on the church and trust that the Holy Spirit is guiding his church? It's a, it's a very interesting thing, learning about these characters. It's like, what would you do in that situation? And being able to learn from their right moves and be able to learn from their mistakes to move forward and hopefully do the best that we can. Well, it's an interesting point. And again, talking about misconceptions Catholics have, there's a tendency for us to see, well, the Reformation, that's a Protestant thing. And if we're aware of that period at all, there's the extent that one thinks about the Catholic response. Sometimes people talk about the Counter-Reformation. So you get the Protestant Reformation, and then you have the Counter-Reformation where Catholics are trying to counter the Protestants. Well, that's, a, that's an oversimplification. This is a period of reformations in the plural. That's how scholars today tend to talk about it, reformations, and one form in which change took, one form change took, was what became Protestantism, where there was a rejection, not just of certain abuses in the church, but some fundamental ideas that were part and parcel of Catholic Christianity that had been the case for 15, 1,600 years. Okay, so that was one response, and as you say, so Luther worked himself into that way of thinking. At the same time, there were other people who saw abuses and even people who objected to things like the so-called sales of indulgences who responded in a more Catholic way. So there was what is today called the Catholic Reformation, where Catholics were aware of problems. They were responding to them, but they didn't respond in a way that broke with full communion with the church. So we think of this period as a period of time in which there were great figures like Teresa of Avila or John of the Cross, who were reformers, St. Ignatius of Loyola, others who came on the scene. So part of the Catholic reforming activity was to counter mistakes or errors that were introduced by Protestantism. Not that Protestantism was all wrong, but part of the Catholic response was to counter. But much of the Catholic response would have been there even if there had been no Martin Luther or or Protestant Reformation. This was the response of church leaders at the time to reform the church according to the spirit of Catholicism, trying to make them more Catholic, not less Catholic, and seeing things like people's inability to access scripture or to grow in their faith or abuses like the sale of indulgences as being counter to the heart of Catholicism. Yeah, Mark, this is all so fascinating. Guys, go check out the book. It's called Characters of the Reformation by Hilar Belloc from Ignatius Press. Mark, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I appreciate it. Great being with you. All right, guys, this has been another episode of Forte Catholic. We'll be back next week. Say